0: Uh, it's tremendous to see you here. This is, Pastor Jim LaFoon and I dreamed about this many, many, many years prior to its 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 birth. We talked, and we talked a lot. Prophets talk, all right, and we, but by the grace of God, we're here in our seventh year, and it's so great to have you here with us, and we know we believe in this 36-hour period of time that not only is God going to speak, but more importantly, we want you to take something away other than just a word. You know, we come to a moment like this, God, give me my word for this moment. But let me just say, if, if, if that's all you get here, then you've probably missed something. He said, what we want to see is something imparted to you of the spirit of prophecy. As Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that what? You can know him better. So open your heart, open your spirit, open your ears today to what the spirit is saying. Amen. Turn to the book of John. Those of you challenged, that's in the New Testament. You know, when we have our electronic things anymore, you don't hear pages rustle I mean, it's just like you just put John in the search engine and it just, it pops up. But it's, it's there, New Testament, all right. And we look here in the first few verses of the account of that morning that we just celebrated just a couple of weeks ago. And I love this account because, first of all, we just see all of the foibles of how humans are trying to respond to something they've never seen before. We even find the evangelists groping at words to try to inscripturate how do we, how do we, how do we wrap language around something that we've never seen. And we see those, Mary coming to the tomb and the, and the rock is gone and it's like, okay, something's seriously wrong here. She runs back and she gets two of the disciples and we'll look at this in a moment. And then they run to the tomb and different, differing results of how they respond. Then John, then, then Mary comes out and she sees this man standing there and she thinks it's the gardener because this man looks considerably different than the last time that she saw Jesus. And then when he speaks, she recognizes it's interesting. I can't unpack this, but it was not just what she was seeing, it was when she heard his voice, then she knew who he was. And she went to go touch him, and he said, No, no don't touch me. I haven't ascended to the Father yet. I was reading about this from an apologetical standpoint, that if this had really been a myth, then those early, those, those early discoverers of this resurrection would have said they saw and they believed and they rejoiced. But what we see is, is a lot of humanity happening right here. I, I don't know what I'm seeing. I don't know how to respond. I don't know what to do. But we find one disciple outrunning the other to get to the tomb. John outran Peter. And he says he looked in. He says he stooped down and he looked in. And there's a unique Greek word here which literally means to clearly see something material. In other words, something is happening with our natural eye that we are assessing something and we are identifying what it is. But then it says that Peter then Stoop down. It says he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he began to take another look at it because something wasn't, I mean, it wasn't that he had been unwrapped, but they were, it, there was a neatness about it, the, the, the cloth covering his face. And so it says that there's a different Greek word for the word see here, which literally means to understand or excuse me, it means to contemplate or observe. John looked in and he peeked in and he saw something in the natural. Peter looked in and he observed and he scrutinized and he looked at it again, but then it says John took another look, and there's yet a third distinct Greek word there for the word see. Just across a few verses, we see three different words for the word to see. And it says, he saw and something else happened, he believed. And that Greek word there means literally to understand, to perceive the significance of a thing. How many times can we look and see this is exactly the progression many times of how our seeing operates? We see something in the natural, it comes through our eye gate, it touches some database of something that we've seen in the past or something we've read about, so we immediately can look at an object and say, that is a chair. But then we take yet another look and we begin to scrutinize it and say, well, no, that's not just a chair, that's a folding chair. That's a beige folding chair. And we begin to to, to scrutinize it. But then we look again and then we understand something that we didn't see from the first two looks. You see, John looked again. He didn't just take that first glance, he looked again. And that's the title of this message this morning, you and I need to look again. We need to take another look because what we're seeing in the natural many times is not at all what's happened. We need to look again and not just, just perceive it and question it and say, well, I think I have a little. We need to peer all the way in to what God is doing and saying. And it says John saw and something happened. It says he believed. John is remarkable among the disciples because most of the accounts of people believing the resurrection came as a result of a direct encounter with the resurrected Jesus. But you see, when John looked in, that third, looked in that second time, he didn't even need to see the resurrected Jesus. All he had to do was observe the linen strips and the head covering, and he knew he's risen. He didn't need any other manifestation like the other disciples. He looked in, he saw, and he believed one commentator said it this way he said John believed but Peter was still in the dark once again the former had outrun his friend so it begs the question for you and for me in a moment like this conference or a moment that we find ourselves in this nation or the events around the world we see but do we see? That's what this conference is about, seeing beyond and releasing faith. John looked again. He saw and he could believe. I don't know about you, but I need to see beyond CNN and Fox and MSNBC right now. I need to see beyond the headlines or how some group is slanting the news to say what they want it to say. I need to peer in and I need to see what God is doing and saying in this moment. And if we're going to be and do all that God has called us to, we've got to develop a different set of lenses to be able to see correctly. We see, but do we see? Matthew 13, Jesus quoting Isaiah, ever hearing, but never understanding, and ever seeing, but never perceiving. Things are rarely as they initially appear. The beginning of this year, I spoke a message about jubilee, and we are in that Hebrew year, that 50th, where God fully intends to release certain things to us in this moment. But my very, very first point was the word paradox. Why? Why? Because if we don't have the eyesight to see that which God is releasing in this moment of Jubilee, we're never going to be able to reach out and receive it. If you can't perceive it, you can't receive it. And it starts with our eyes. And we can go to prophetic conferences and we can line up behind our favorite prophetic ministers. We can get these great words. But the reality is until we can see it for ourselves and believe it, they're just words. Consider the bookends of Jesus' ministry for a moment. We looked at the resurrection. We looked at that moment of discovery. But we look at his birth. Luke 2, the parents taking the firstborn to be dedicated and a couple of old folk hanging out in the temple, weird old people. We find this woman named Anna, say she's never left, praying all the time, widowed most of her life. But we find this other strange guy, Simeon. Now, moms, you remember your firstborn, right? Right? I mean, you were protective. You had, you know, the the NASA strap-in car seat and the, you know, all the plug protectors in the house and the cabinets. And and people would want to see your baby, and you'd hand them a mask. You know, don't breathe on him. (laughs) Here's some Purell. Get clean. Come on, moms. You know what I'm talking about. And imagine in this moment, this old man, this stranger walking up to this couple with their first child, and it's just like, give me the boy. You lost your mind, fool. I don't think so. And she hands him over. Now, you know, dads, we're, we're, we're a lot more relaxed about all this. You know, babies are magnets for women. It's an amazing thing. Women, oh, he's beautiful. Oh, my. Oh, Men are like yeah, kid. (laughs) If it's the parents, yeah, that's my boy. But you know, ladies, ladies are different about the whole baby thing. But Simeon says a remarkable thing. He says, God, as you've promised, Luke 2, verse 29, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for what? My eyes have seen your salvation. You wonder how many dozens or hundreds of babies had shown up at the temple that day for dedication, and yet this old man, all of these parents and kids, this old man walks up to this one couple holding this one child. Why? Because he had some aura aglow? No. Got it. Opened his eyes. This is the Messiah. This is what you've been looking for your entire life right here. How did that happen? The Holy Spirit opened his eyes. He let this old man see something that nobody else was seeing there that day. So let me give you a few thoughts about looking again. The first I want to talk about are parameters and permissions. Knowing what God intends for us to see and knowing what he doesn't intend for us to see. Having done this quote-unquote prophetic thing for a moment, Many times I am as intrigued by what I don't see as what I do see. People come up and they want to say, "What's my what's my future husband's name?" What is the sex of my baby? Is God going to open my womb? I mean, questions, I mean, good, they're not bad questions. But many times I'm amazed at what God allows me to see and then what God doesn't allow me to see. Aren't you glad God did not give you the play-by-play when you signed up to be a disciple? I mean, we really think we want the whole picture, don't we, Pastor Jim? Oh, give, me, give it to me. Give me the 10-year plan. Give me the 20-year plan. I don't know about you, but I would have said... Um, I like this whole not going to hell thing and, you know, Jesus, you're great, but, oh, my goodness, you mean the sickness and the hardship and, you know, the, the character working and the patience and, all oh, the fine print wearing me out here. And we think we want to see all this stuff. <laughs> Genesis, the third chapter. She looked at that tree, and it was, it, the, the fruit looked good to eat. But what happened in that moment? As she ate, it says their eyes were opened to something they were not intended to see. God never intended for them to see their nakedness. But it was interesting that as a result of eating off of this, off of this forbidden tree of life, It was their eyes that were open to see something that in turn released shame to them and to mankind. It was their eye gate that was defiled first. They saw something God never intended for them to see. Corey ten Boom, and if you don't know that name, go get anything she wrote. Remarkable woman, her family, a Dutch family, took in Jews during the Second World War. Her entire family perished in the camps. She was the lone survivor. And her message of grace is just one of the richest stories you can ever read. Corey Tim Boom relates the story of train travel with her dad as a young child. And she asked her dad a question about human reproduction. She was young. And her dad said, Corey, pick my suitcase up and carry it for me. And she tried, and she couldn't, even, she couldn't even budget. She said, Daddy, I, 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 can't, I can't carry this. It's too heavy. He said, sweetheart, certain information is too heavy for you at your age. But when you get older, you'll be able to pick it up and carry it. Let me just tell you. For some of us, we wonder, God, why won't you speak? Why won't you show me? Because right now, you can't carry it. And there will come a moment that maybe God will open your eyes. You come into a place later on, maturity. How many of you can look back on something that caused tremendous pain and consternation? And you look back and say, I understand now, but it would have killed me then to have known. And we can talk about all of the possibilities of the prophetic, but we need to talk for a moment just about some of the limitations. And they're not, I don't believe the devil cloaking us. I believe sometimes God deliberately doesn't want us to see certain things. So the first, parameters and permissions. But the second is our seeing will produce one or two things, fear or faith, depending on whether we're seeing correctly or incorrectly sufficiently or insufficiently you know when you were a kid the monsters came out at night come on the monsters came out at night said oh I didn't know yeah you did and the flying monkeys still bother you and some of us are old enough to remember the flying monkeys in black and white and they were even scarier but the monsters all come out at night why because of insufficient light Because when mom would come in and open the door, would you go to sleep or cut the light on? What happened? All the monsters scurried back into the closet. And as you get a little bit older, you realize that some of those shifting things that you saw on the walls really was just a play of light and shadow. You weren't seeing well. But it was your insufficient sight that was producing what? Fear. Hmm. Hmm. It says the disciples, when they saw Jesus walking on the water, they were afraid because they thought he was a what? A ghost. Why? Because they couldn't see him well. You see, our ability to see well is going to either release fear through our insufficiency or as we begin to see well, it's going to release faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith, not by natural sight. Faith is nothing more than seeing correctly. You want an easy definition for faith? It's seeing what God is seeing and doing and agreeing with it. (laughs) I mean, can we just unpack it and take the mystery out of it? That's ultimately what it is. 2 Corinthians 4.18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen in the natural, but what is unseen because what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Having a vision begins with having vision. Sometimes we want somebody else to give us the vision for our life. But the vision for your life has to start with you having God vision, seeing what he is seeing. Number three is that looking again and seeing well is prerequisite for salvation. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 says that the God of this age has done what? He has blinded. Once again, not seeing well. He's blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see. At the very root, it's a deception problem, it's a seeing incorrectly problem. Pastor Jim and I knew a pastor in our city, and at that time had the largest church in the city, Southern Baptist Church, great pastor, closet tongue talker. <laughs> and I'll never forget him making this statement. He said, my biggest mission field sits in front of me every Sunday morning. But wow. Wow. He said, I know half my congregation's unsaved. I thought, well, that's a challenge. And you wonder sometimes how someone can sit in church under the under truth, and they can hear it week after week and month after month, and in cases year after year, same preacher, same pulpit, the same little hymn at the end, come as you are, just as I am, whatever it is. I've been a charismatic too long. But, all, I mean, and just, it's just washing over. But then there's this one day that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, now. Yeah. And you can't get to the front of the room fast enough. What happens? Did the preacher eat his Wheaties that morning? Read his Bible a little more that week? Was the organist didn't hit as many wrong? I mean, what was the dynamic <laughs> by this week, this moment? Because God had taken the blinders off. Acts 9. Ananias praying for Saul. It says something like what? Scales fell from his eyes. Scales. What do we usually associate with something that has scales? Fish. See? But... Snakes as well. Work with me here. You're, you're, messi- you're messing my picture up. Jane got it. Jane, Jane got it. She lives in Florida. People go down there, you know, just say, what, what are we doing after dinner? We're going to go find a 20-foot snake. But have you ever considered the significance of what fail, fell from Saul's eyes? Scales. Something demonic that had been holding him back from seeing the truth of who he was persecuting. Wow. Number four is that we need sight for provision. God has made supernatural provision for us. And I'm not talking about just that which is stored up in heaven. But I believe there is natural provision that God has and is releasing. But we've got to look again. We've got to look again. We find a famous story, 1 Kings 19. The greatest moment in the life of this prophet, Elijah. Great throwdown moment on Mount Carmel, and this really bad woman says, I'm coming for you. And he takes off like a scared. <laughs> she bad. And he goes out there and he just sad. God, I'm just, I'm just just take this. It says he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep, First Kings 19. And it says that the angel touched him. He said, get up and eat. And he looked around. What was there? There was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. We need supernatural eyesight to see what God has prepared for us. We just need to look again. We need to look again, number five, at the protection that God has arrayed around our lives. Elijah's protege, Elisha, 2 Kings 6, the king's pretty much fed up with his revelation because he keeps doing some intel and the armies keep moving around based on this prophet's intel. So they, they finally find him and the posses come. It's a bad morning. You got all the black trucks and the guys in the suits, you know, and the, you know and, and, and the cameras are there. And his servant goes out and he sees all of this with his natural eyes. And he comes back in completely freaked out. What does Elisha pray for? We need to head out the back door. No, no, no. He says, God, open his eyes. See, Elisha had already seen. He wasn't considering what what were the natural foes and enemies that lied against him in that moment. But he saw there was something more significant that God had already released on his behalf. We get no picture Elisha even had to ask for it. They were already there. You realize that there are ministering and warring angels that God has already released around your life. They're already there. And like Gehazi, we just need our eyes open to see the protection that God has arrayed around our lives, our families, our kids, our communities. We need our eyes open to promise. Number six, the spies come back from the land. And they come back in and give this report to Moses. It's great dirt, man. It's everything they said it was. It perks. We got mineral rights. Waterfront, it's really nice. But I got to tell you, there's some bad dudes in the neighborhood. And they're a lot bigger than we are. They got tactical nukes. They got chemical weapons, and they're not afraid to use any of them. And they're giving this report to this one young man, Caleb, One young man, it says he silenced the people before Moses. This is, I love this. Can you imagine, you get the picture, he was probably one of the younger, if not the youngest of the delegates that had gone in to spy on this land. Imagine that the president has assembled his top advisors, military advisors, intel. They've got the photographs and the sad images and all of this. Say, we can't do this. And then one young Jack Ryan He silences everybody. Shh! Imagine the boldness. And he said, listen. He said, we should go up and take possession, for we can certainly do it. Now, this fascinates me because Caleb saw the same thing with his natural eyes that the other spies saw. He wasn't denying what was there. What he was saying was, We need to be doing this. We should. We can. This is our inheritance. This is our promise. But how many of us, we consider the size of the giants in the land and the giants that stand between us and the promise of God. And we say, that's that. The only question is, is the promise bigger than the opposition? And the voices, many times, they're not the external voices. They're right here. I got to tell you, and I know what the sound of the enemy sounds like, but most of the time, what this young man or this old man or whoever I is, is dealing with, my wife, just, my wife rebuked me a couple of days. She said, stop calling yourself an old man. I said, yes, dear. Can I have my oval team now? But most of the time, it's not not the enemy coming and making accusation. It's me. And listen, I understand spiritual warfare. I got it. I know there's an enemy. He's very real. He doesn't like me much. And that's fine. I don't like him either. But most of the time, it's right here that I've got to tell myself, like the psalmist, would you shut up, please, so that God can get louder then all of those voices that are rumbling around in my head and my heart telling me why something will never happen. But we got to have eyes to see like Caleb, to step into the promise. And my last point, we have to have the right eyes to see potential. You know, sometimes we wonder, where is the evangelistic fervor? In our people, in my where where's the evangelistic fervor in my life? Pastor Rice books talks about the one percent of people are evangelists, so to speak, and then there's another smaller there's another percentage, a little bit bigger. David, what is it? Three to five percent of people that will actually be evangelistically active among a group of people. Could I submit to you what the real issue with evangelism is? It's a seeing problem. Because we don't see the potential of God in people. We can't see beyond the, the, the words that they're using. We can't see beyond what they're saying. We can't see beyond the cigarette they're holding. We can't see beyond the very image of God that God intends to be fashioned in their life. We write them off because they don't look like us from the very beginning. And let me tell you, you've got to see something in somebody. I tell you, my wife, looking at an emaciated 18-year-old music major, (laughs) saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost since she was five years old, raised in the heart of the discipleship movement, The who's who in and out of her house. She was raised in fire. And I'm stumbling into salvation as a college freshman. She had to say, hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, in the natural, the only potential was, would you like fries with that? Because I was not a music major at Juilliard or Eastman, baby, let me tell you. It wasn't going to happen. But when you're 18 and you're young and dumb, you still think something, you know. So she had to look way beyond all that. I remember her taking me home for the first time. And I was there playing my guitar, and I was dressed and let your 70s imagination run wild. Just let it go for a moment. And her dad, her dad, who knew how to do things with a knife to animals that are unspeakable publicly. A veterinarian. Yes. He takes one look at me. And I'm there because I'm the only one his youngest daughter's ever dragged home. So he knows this is, not good. this is not good. His first words James, good to meet you. Let's go to the barn. And the discipleship commenceth. And for the next two or three years, he did everything he could to run me away. All right, I got her. But she had to see something. She had to see something deep because she wasn't seeing it in the natural, it wasn't there. There are moments with your children. You have to look again. Say, boy, I cannot believe you're from my loins. You're not trying to make any accusations against your wife, but you're having a hard moment. Having a tough moment cannot believe you are in my household and you carry my last name. You are in my will. You're not going to live long enough to get it anyway. And there are moments as parents we have to look again. When the aliens come and abduct your child when puberty hits and they leave their pod behind. Then only after you've paid for the college education and they have their first child do they come back and say, help me. You're not as dumb as I thought you were. But their time as parents, we have to, we have to look again. We have to call forth that word in their life. It will not return void. Which is one of my promises of Jubilee is that God is going to get the prodigals back. The prodigals are coming back as a result of Jubilee. But you got to see it. You got to see that potential in somebody else. The prophet came to the house of Jesse. They'd already written the boy off, they didn't even put him in the lineup. The prophet looks around and he says, He ain't here. God says, don't look on the outside. That's right. Yeah, I know there's some D1 picks up here, but don't look on the outside. Yeah, these boys look good. On, they, but the king ain't here. And the prophet has to push. He has to push Jesse. Got any more, got any more kids? Oh, yeah, I forgot that one. Yeah, we sent him out there with the sheep. We can't stand the music, so we sent him on out there to be with the sheep, get him out of the house. He said, bring him. You see, it took the prophet to see the next king. His daddy couldn't see it. His brothers couldn't see it. Nobody could see it. But it took the eyes of the prophet. It took revelation to say, this is David. This is the next king. This is who the Messiah will come through. It took the prophetic to open eyes. We need to see the potential in one another. But more importantly, we need to see the potential in ourselves. You know, the devil works overtime to tell you everything you're never going to be. You know, the mirror is a cruel thing, isn't it? I mean, there's some of us, we just gave up on the mirror some time ago. I mean, come on, Pastor. What does that mean? No. Certain things you don't agree with. But the mirror can be a cruel thing. And the enemy will put this mirror up in front of us. Tied to all of the all the sins of the past. The stuff in your internet search engine that he knows about. This is what you are, and it's too big, too wide, too tall, too small. It's too something, but it's never what God is seeing. And some of us, we need to look again. And we need to see what's looking back. And the only way we can do that is seeing through the eyes of God himself. The author and perfecter of our faith. Ephesians 2.10 talks about his workmanship in you and me. Your one translation says his masterpiece. Think about that. What have I said this morning? As we come into this conference, let's look again. Some of us have made certain assumptions and presuppositions and arrived at some conclusions that just aren't correct. Because like John peeking in the first time, he didn't get a good look. Peter didn't get a complete look. But it was when John looked again, it says he saw and he believed. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, help us today as we step into this moment. Lord, for whatever it is that we need to see today, whether it's provision, whether, God, is stepping into the promise, whether it's protection for our families, God, whether it's just a new perception of who we are in you. Let us see something that we've never seen before. Seeing beyond, releasing faith. Help us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Give the Lord a clap offering.